This is the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, featuring talks and conversations recorded live by the Public Programs Department of California Institute of Integral Studies, a nonprofit university located in San Francisco on unceded Ramatush Ohlone land. Before we get into today's episode, we have an update for you regarding our podcast schedule. We're shifting our schedule to release new episodes every other Thursday. If you're a subscriber, the next episode after this one will appear in the feed of your preferred podcast app on June 17th. This episode was recorded during a live online event on April 5th, 2021. It features clinician and CIIS professor Giselle Fernandez-Osterhold in conversation with Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, or MAPS, clinician researcher Karen Zarfati on the benefits and therapeutic applications of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. A transcript of this episode is available at ciispod.com. To find out more about CIIS and public programs like this one, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. Good evening, everybody. It's so, so wonderful to be here with you, Karen, this evening in the Psychedelic Spring Series. Welcome back to CIIS. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited to be here with you and with everybody. Yes, you are here today as a co-founder of MAPS Israel to talk about the development of the research of, with MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. But before we go into this treatment modality, would you like to tell us a little bit of your story with CIS since you started your career here as a student? Mm. Yeah, well, I was a lawyer in Israel, and I was very much into my own process, kind of exploring my own psychology and somatics and transpersonal experiences. And then I heard that there is a place, a magical place in San Francisco, in which I can learn about uh, integrative somatic and uh, spiritual psychotherapy. And I was very, very excited and came and was interviewed by Ian Grant at the time. And um, was accepted with lots of, um, I can remember the hug he gave me after the interview and I was felt very happy and blessed to join the community at CIS and to learn the master in somatics. Um, and then I felt that something is missing for me. There was not enough um, clinical work with the more spiritual or mystical experiences of who we are. So I decided to continue to have my PhD in uh, the East-West, in which I celebrated all this uh, transpersonal um, field. Uh, yeah, so I spent seven, six, seven years in CIS, and I loved every moment. I feel very grateful for my time there. Yeah. It's wonderful that we have that in common. We both graduated from the somatic psychology program at CIS, and Ion Grand, bless his soul, was also one of um, the people who welcomed me it, the same way that he did with you, a big heart that he had. And, yeah. um, and I met you in, in CIS, just yes. to say. <laughs> yes. So it's wonderful to be here today talking about the psychedelic renaissance and uh, the de decriminalization efforts, the medicalization of psychedelics. And so 
how do you see uh, this potential for the therapeutic use of psychedelics at this moment in your career, at this moment in the world? How is that? I think we're in a special time, special time in which we bring the, you know, the wisdom of traditional and uh, um, more like earth-based cultures into the West through psychedelics and also the wisdom of the uh, underground communities that are kind of carrying this work for many, many years and the wisdom we discover in the, in the studies and the research. Uh, so I'm very excited about it. I feel, you know, it, it almost... Um, I can see an impact in two different ways. One is on the care itself of how we can invite people to explore their wounds and their um, organic parts of who they are in a very integrative way, an experiential way, meeting themselves in a very uh, direct and deep way. Uh, but also other than just working with the care for people, also working with the caregivers. And I think there is something about psychedelic therapy if we'll be uh, lucky enough and wise enough to offer it in an accurate and professional and safe way also to professionals in the field, I think we can change the way therapy looks like. And this is a, this is a piece I'm very passionate about to invite psychotherapists, psychiatrists, social workers, uh, art therapists, and, and so on to to, to know this field, to know this kind of work and to know how to offer um, psychotherapy that is experience-based and body, mind, spirit-based to other people. Um, I think it's meaningful because we don't, in most cultures um, in the West, at least, at least in Israel, I would say, we, want, we don't have the shaman uh, role in the same way we, we used to have you, you, we used to have it, and I think there is something about psychotherapy that offers a container that invites people to explore who they are in, a, in the way the shaman offered in the past. So for me, thinking about psychedelic therapy as a way to change the healthcare um, um, system is a, is, a meaningful, is a meaningful thing. Yeah, so, so you're bringing up the idea of not only the patient being transformed by the work, but the psychotherapist being transformed by the work, and, and in that, doing the work differently. And so it's a, a, a possible whole shift in the concept of healing and how clinical work is done. And I, I would even go a step further to include medicine, because if we think about doctors and nurses working in hospitals mm -hmm. and how much secondary traumatization, how much compassion fatigue they suffered from, um, we can, and, and I know that there are projects already in place, research projects that are looking into uh, care for the caregiver, right? Mm -hmm. To support the frontline workers. And, and what would the work in a hospital look like if doctors and nurses and, and staff would have the, the support for their own healing in a profound way? Um, so I think it's a, there's a possibility here for a revolutionary movement in the field of psychology and the field of medicine and healing in general. Right, right. Because I think as caregiver, if we carry... Um, the knowing of where we can go in ourselves and and also in a in the way we give back, I think that's a, a place a real transformation can happen. 
And I think maybe one more thing to say about that, you know, in the West, and, and I'm making generalization, but uh, forgive me for that, but just saying that the therapy is very much focused on the individual. And if we uh, really surrender and, and get to know deeper psychedelic work, we learn to expand beyond our individual, beyond our, our um, more personal self. And there is something about that that is opening us up. And from this place, we can really, I think, uh, offer a transformation or processes, processes of healing or growth in a deeper way and a much more um, useful way. So I'm, I'm hopeful about that. Mm, wonderful. We'll get, we'll get into that more deeply as we unfold here, because the audience is here to listen um, more information about MDMA-assisted psychotherapy tonight. So we will try to focus on that. Um, it has been a Schedule One drug for over 35 years, um, and it's also known as a party drug, as ecstasy or molly. And which is not the same as the pharmaceutical uh, MDMA, what's used in the research. So would you tell us a little bit about the difference between MDMA and the pharmaceutical use of MDMA and the classical psychedelics? Mm-hmm. Yes. Versus the overall effect that, that, that the drug brings about. Mm-hmm. Right. So when we talk about MDMA, which is, I think, is psychedelic too, but it's not part of the group of the classical LSD, psilocybin, ayahuasca. Um, I think one thing MDMA does really well, and of course it's always with the set and setting, with um, intention of going inside and looking at different wounds and different resources and um, healthy parts. So I just will say that in this context, the MDMA is allowing us to um, meet ourselves or meet ourselves in a capital uh, S um, in a very healthy way. So it takes away some of the shame, the defenses, um, places in us that are stopping us from moving towards in a, our process of healing. And it creates or it helps integrate a healthy, a healthy sense of self and an experience of um, me being love or me being uh, creativity, me being part of um, um, some kind of base, basic uh, healthy knowing. So there is a sense of um, being um, wise, loving, connected, and from there to look at different psychological complexes or difficulties, or looking at uh, my vision to where I want to go. So in a way, I think MDMA is teaching us in the right set and setting, how to live life, how to live fully, how to come from places of connection and empathy and how to take responsibility on our uh, wounds and our difficulties and explore them. While classical psychedelics, they create, uh, and it's again a generalization, but many times it creates an experience of um, ego dissolution. So the self is actually, there is an experience of uh, melting, the boundaries are melting and the sense of who who am I as a Karen, as a personal self is kind of melting and changing. And I start experience myself, not so much as Karen in this body mind, but as something bigger than me. It can be nature or the divine or the existence itself or yeah, different different things that are both me, but 
much bigger than my personal identity. So in this sense, while MDMA is teaching us how to live, I think uh, the classical psychedelic teaches, teaches us how to die, how not to be only Karen. And then this process of um, allowing myself to know life and myself and um, my personal identity as not so much existing, but as part of something bigger, allow us to live fuller because if, you know, if we, are co- if we are okay with kind of not being that or in some ways okay with dying, we can come without this fear to life itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so so MDMA is known as an intactogen, right? A substance that stimulates the feelings of empathy, of openness, of emotional closeness. And it's also known for its empathogenic effects that helps with the self-forgiveness and self-compassion. In that way, it it has a good uh, combination for therapeutic work. Now, this effect that this uh, substance does, how does it change the brain? Is it, we want to say something about you know, the temporary or the long-term effect that these um, feelings, these um, phenomena will come about for a a participant, a client? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not a neuroscience, but I will say a few words about the the brain. So what we know, we we don't know a lot, but we we do know that there is a much more oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, all those materials that makes us feel exactly what you named and um, the feeling of connection and love and empathy and forgiveness towards oneself and towards other too. Um, and all those experiences on one hand, they're temporary. Yeah, there, there is maybe our eight hours of very strong experience from the beginning to the end of the session of having all those qualities of the experience from which we can not only experience them, but also look at ourselves and at our traumas or difficulties and challenges in life, internal challenges, depression, anxiety, different trauma symptoms. Um, so in a way it's temporary, but, but if we invite the process to continue in an integration in, um, uh, process inside psychotherapy, there is a, almost a feeling or an experience of the empathy, the connection, this way of being is being embedded into the nervous system, into the, the body-mind system, into our uh, behavior, in our, into our perception. So the experience itself and the pharmacological um, qualities of it are definitely temporary, but it has a lot of potential to rebuild us or reintegrate us into those um, ways of being that are based on love and creativity and empathy and connection and compassion, which really are so missing in our culture, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that it's not how we usually walk in life, unfortunately, um, other than CIS students, of course. <laughs> and faculty, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> So let's get specific with the work that MAPS has been developing because you are a frontline worker. You are a co-founder of MAPS Israel with Rick Dublin. 
and you've been a principal investigator in a number of studies. You are a clinical director, you're a supervisor, you train people, you have so much experience. Um, and the clinical trial now for the use of MDMA uh, to be used with PTSD is in phase three, right? Mm -hmm. In the mm -hmm. US and Canada and in Israel. And for the audience, um, to clarify, the, the phase three is when um, you already succeeded with the results in phase two. And um, that's when that gets approved for the general use. And in phase three, you're going to then just confirm the effectiveness, right? And the safety so mm -hmm. that this treatment can be used against the current standard treatment. Mm -hmm. um, so speak a little bit about your role in this development and what is the specific focus of the research that you are involved in at this moment? So my role, well, I start when I, when I finished, um, well, I was in the midst of my PhD, but I finished the coursework and moved back to Israel from California. Uh, which I miss a lot every day, just to say it's very important. Um, and then I went back to Israel and I met Rick Dublin, uh, who is really, um, I think, will get a Nobel Prize for what he does. And I really is one of the people that inspired me in the work uh, we do in Israel. Uh, he's really a force of nature, I would say, with lots of wisdom <laughs> and creativity and energy. And um, yes, I was very blessed to work with him for many years now. Um, and the research was already opened in Israel, but it was done with the psychiatrists. The therapists were psychiatrists that didn't have, uh, I would say, somatic or transpersonal uh, clinical background. So it didn't work well. Uh, the, the study did not work well and, and Rick came to Israel and he had to change the, the therapist. And me and Ido, who is my partner and both my professional par partner and um, my husband, uh, Dr. Ido Simeon, uh, came and kind of joined as the therapist with other people too. And we started phase two and it was very successful. The, the results of phase two, you know, 68% of the people that got the MDMA, the participant that came with a very severe PTSD, were not considered to have PTSD a year, 12 months after the treatment was over. That's, that's also why the FDA uh, declared uh, the study as a breakthrough study. Uh, so we did phase two in Israel, one of, I think, five sites in the world. And after finishing phase two, we uh, continued to phase three. And we are now in the midst of the study. Mm -hmm. uh, so my role there was a ther I started as a therapist and a supervisor. And then there was a need, you know, there's so many people with PTSD in uh, Israel specifically and in the Middle East. We are uh, in quite a traumatic neighborhood in the Middle East. So we had a very, very long list of people uh, applying to the study for uh, the end of phase two and the uh, phase three for sure. And just to tell you an anecdote, at the beginning of phase two, we had no people coming into the study. We, it was a problem. We couldn't get participants. People, participants. people got scared, you know, drug and um, research in humans. And also in Israel, we do the studies in the hospitals. So it's inside the hospital and some of the hospital has a kind of a iffy reputa reputation because it's a mental uh, mental health institute. Okay. So people didn't want to be connected to it so much. 
So we didn't know what to do. And then we invited Stan Groff to be uh, our guest in Israel. And we spent a few weeks together. And he went through Israel with us and gave lectures. And we did a holotropic breathwork uh, workshop. And every time he, ends, he was finished speaking, I came and I said, and we have this study about MDMA for PTSD. Like, you know, like, <laughs> just, <laughs> and then we got people coming into phase two and we, we were able to finish the study, the, the phase two part. And now we have 700 people in our waiting list and more and more uh, calling, really, I'm getting phone calls every day. So we had uh, the need to um, train more therapy. So I, slowly I became a trainer uh, in Edo too. And we trained already, uh, it sounds not so many, but for us in Israel, which is a small place, it's smaller than New Jersey. Uh, we trained 30 people in the first training, and now we're in the midst of 40 more. In, they're in the midst of the training. Um, and slowly we're developing, and we got a, the Ministry of Health in Israel is very supportive. And because of the problem of PTSD in Israel, they, they feel the need too to find um, a safe and good model of therapy for PTSD. So they got very excited after phase two was over and they saw the results and they they approved us to offer the treatment in a open access, um, compassionate based use for 50 more people. And that's a project that we are in the beginning of and are going to start in the next few months. Yeah. So that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful story. So we'll get into the details of that. Uh, but I love hearing about your efforts uh, along Stan Groff and, you know, really humanizing the field, right? Because there has been so much prejudice and um, stereotypes with mental health and mental illness that uh, just some barriers there. And so it's beautiful to hear you talk about uh, just to offer the work at the, the beginning. And Wondering, you know, as you reflect back on phase two, were there any adjustments made to the research as you move into phase three? Well, in Israel, in phase two, we had a protocol that included two MDMA sessions. So we had 12 meetings of psychotherapy. Two of them were with MDMA. And in phase three, all over the world, we added one more session of MDMA. So with some, with some participants, in the second MDMA session in phase two, we noticed a new memory that showed up, uh, especially with complex PTSD. So um, they needed, I think, they needed more time under the MDMA to process and to work with the memories, the trauma, to create a reintegration. So we added one more session and um, I hope and believe to see that the results of the of uh, phase three will uh, reflect that too, hopefully. Mm -hmm. So so let's talk about more specifics about the research. So you said the sessions happen in the hospital and in phase two was 12 sessions with two MDMA sessions and phase three, you have a third session because that expanded a little bit the treatment and gave the patients another opportunity uh, with the medicine. So who are the clients and how did they arrive at the clinic? So you, you did a little bit of um, propaganda and outreach in, in the beginning, <laughs> but uh, who, who did you get? Do they come by themselves? Uh, are they diagnosed before they come? Are there psychiatrists sending clients? Um, and then tell us a little bit also, how are the sessions 
being conducted, um, who is a part of it, and a little bit of the standards, the atmosphere, the, the length. Um, just give us a picture of, of from beginning to end of what it looks like, uh, the, the research trial for MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. I'm happy to. So I would say that the first uh, phone call uh, is usually from a participant or from a participant's family member, people that are uh, in the same boat, difficult boat of the PTSD with the patient or the people. We also get a phone call from therapists asking about their clients and looking for some kind of hope because PTSD is such a severe wound and the symptoms are awful, especially the people we see that are with severe PTSD. So those are people that suffer from depression, from anxiety, from uh, nightmares, flashbacks, uh, lots of avoidance, not, not doing a lot of things because things are triggering the inner experience of the fear and the terror. Um, so it's a severe uh, condition and just uh, just reminding us about what we talked about the MDMA, about the MDMA, about the experience of it, the empathy, the connection, the compassion, the love. It's exactly the remedy huh? um, to this inner experience of the PTSD. Um, so those are the people that are calling us. And again, at this point, although we get so many phone calls really every day, uh, we already have a long, long list from which we pick the people. They're waiting on this waiting list for a few years now. And then they come in and we start a screening process that is led by the team of the, of the research. So psychiatrists and the research assistants. And we're trying to see if, they're, uh, if the research is a good match for them. If they have PTSD, if the PTSD is uh, uh, in their severe enough for the study and so on. So there is a screen, and also if it's safe enough for them, if they're healthy enough, no heart condition, uh, and also from a psychological point of view, if, they're, if they don't have any inclusion, uh, exclusion uh, mismatch. So we need to see that it's a safe and appropriate uh, uh, protocol, clinical protocol for them. And if they go through the screening, then they meet two therapists, uh, usually a man and a woman in Israel, but it doesn't have to be. We have different um, options. And uh, we start the process. And the first thing we do is the putting the intention. So looking at the mindset and inviting them to look at what they're wishing for and what they want from the therapy. What is that they're praying for, asking for? And we start working with the intention. And of course, exploring uh, in a very somatic way with mindfulness, experiential approach of psychotherapy, their inner experience and starting to get to know um, to get to know their experience and what is what is there. Uh, so the intention is very strong. And also the setting of the of the walk is very it's very strong. There is a beautiful room with plants and candles and uh, artwork that is inspiring and um when you walk into the room it feels like you came to a safe beautiful home so it's not hospitalized at all and it's part of the protocol it's part of this humanistic approach that we want to um to offer to our clients knowing that they came to a safe place non-hierarchical non you know there are of course boundaries and strong walls but there is a sense of um, of going into a journey together 
the two therapists and the and the participants, of course, focusing on what the participants process uh, need. And we start we start uh, listening to what's happening and um, giving some tools of how to be with the inner experience and how to trust this really intelligence force of healing and growth that is inside of us. So we as the professional, we you know we know that we have the professional tools and we can guide, but really the the main force or the main guide of the process is the inner experience of the client. And we really rely on that and trust that. Um, we have three meetings of preparations, 90 minutes each, pretty much. And then we have an MDMA session. And they come to this the same room, this beautiful, nourishing room. And they, and they get the MDMA in the morning, usually around 9 o'clock. And they stay for eight hours just under the influence with the two of us there, listening to what's happening in their body, in their heart, in their process following it um it's beautiful and difficult it's not uh it's not a lovey-dovey experience it's a in most cases and and there are different you know psychedelics in general is very mysterious in the sense of we don't know ahead of time what what is going to happen and the, the sessions can look in many different ways um, but we follow what's there. Sometimes there are memories of the trauma and then we process them together. We listen and things are getting more organized. Emotions may show up. Sometimes the body is speaking, movements, shaking. Uh, um, yeah, so the different ways. And some people are just into talking the story and talking their experience. And, and we're just being with them uh, for those eight hours. There is music that is being with the process and the music is uh, was built for the session and it really is supporting going inside and listening and letting the process guide guide the client and of course us and after eight hours the participant is exhausted and so do us <laughs> um, and we end in a closing like a small closing closing ritual of ending this ritual and uh, a night attendant is coming to spend the night with the participant in this room. So we we won't leave them alone in in the night. We go home very tired and satisfied and feeling very grateful and tired at the same time. Uh, and the morning after we come back, the therapy team is coming back and uh, we do the first integ integrative session. So we hear where they are, how they're doing, um, what what's there for them after the day before with the MDMA. Um, and then we, this is the process. We have a few more sessions and then another MDMA with the 24-hour cycle and then another few sessions for integration and preparation for the third session. And then we have an ending, few three sessions for ending. And just to say that some people in the study are getting placebo. So they don't get the MDMA, they get sugar or something uh, and, the, and the process is similar we do exactly the same i was just uh ending a process with a client that i could swear and i have a lot of experience right i could swear um she got the, the mdma and it was a placebo <laughs> i was pretty <laughs> shocked um actually the three of us were like really she did such a beautiful deep process with so many um so 
the inner intelligence is there, even if there's no MDMA, right? Totally. totally. So there's something that gets uh, activated in that intention and in that supportive environment and that setting and in um, the space. And uh, sometimes this, um, as you're describing, I'm thinking about the intersubjective in their subjective feud, you know, that, that's so it's it, what they sometimes it's called the therapeutic force. Mm -hmm. There's the set and setting, there's the therapist, there's the medicine, and there's the client. So it's the combination of these four elements that are coming together. Um, and the magic happens right there. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned a few sessions, um, without medicine for psychotherapy for processing for intention for preparation and then these 24-hour sessions where the client stays over and sleeps and has integration the next day um, do you think that this kind of setting that's been used in the research is something that could be transferable to mainstream offering of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy? How, how do you see the, the adjustment of uh, the research into, let's say, when phase three ends and hopefully will get legalized, how would that translate into regular psychotherapists doing this work um, outside I, of research settings? Yeah, I definitely see it's being transferred and I think it's important that we'll keep this quality of set and setting. I think it's not something we want to leave behind. Um, yeah, so the way I see it and we'll see and it's changing from in different countries because there are different policies, but the way I see it uh, in, in Israel, I definitely see uh, psychedelic clinics in which the teams are trained in psychedelic therapy and we can offer not only MDMA psychotherapy, um, but also work with psilocybin and 5-MeO-DM, like different, different substance during the years after uh, looking at the studies and the research. And I think it's very important that we'll keep the screening process and we'll keep the, the teamwork that I didn't speak a lot about, but it's such an intense work, it's, at least with PTSD and severe disorders, that I think it's very important to have team, not to have one therapist, but to have two therapies and to have the uh, psychiatrist in the background if needed and um, the night the night attendant that is usually usually a, a ther beginner therapist or in school and like it's a, and not to mention all the um, logistic help we get. So I think there is something about having psychedelic clinics in which this exact protocol can can be transferred uh, um, that is very important. It will keep the quality, the depth of the work. I do think that um, not everybody will need eventually all those three sessions. Maybe some people, two will be enough for them and maybe some will need more. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's something I think we need to be flexible uh, in terms of the exact protocol that the, the, the client would, would need. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that sometimes these sessions are very challenging. Uh, unexpected things may happen. Um, can you give an example of a, of a particular situation that was challenging or something that you, you know, that really needed both therapists to be there or that was so important to have the team um, holding the space and, and the client? Was there any situations that were like that, that you really were glad to be in such an important 
robust setting? Yeah, we had a we had a a, a client that had a very um, heart or heartbreaking or devastating memory showing up from a very early age. A memory he was not aware of um, before the MDMA session, and the the way he needed the, the container to be strong. It, like none of us, if I'm thinking if I were there alone, I couldn't go to the bathroom or to drink something just to, you know to go and rest for like five minutes with a tea or like you really needed uh, a person there all the time was crying and sobbing and shaking and just w- going through such an intense experience for, for a few hours. Yeah, not for, uh, it wasn't a few minutes. So it was very important to have another person in the room and so both of us can hold it. We use touch in a very professional, in a very careful way, but we sometimes it's not... Um, it's unethical not to touch, you know, because we t- we talk a lot about if it's ethic to touch or not, but sometimes not to touch it will be an unethical move. So we held him, like we gave him a hand and we uh, hand on his shoulder too, and we just held him for many, many hours. And it was very important to be the two of us there. And, the, and in the week after the session, which is a week, the week after the MDMA session, we really pay attention to how's the participant doing. We have a phone call, few phone calls during the the week and we staying in a very close touch and it was very difficult for him a very difficult week to realize what happened in the family and to have the emotions rose up the body was shaking a lot so we invited him to come back to the to the room to the to the clinic and he spent another night there and we invited the night attendant to stay the night there with them again with him again and i came the psychiatric came and we had to check if he needs some medical uh, from a, like a um, um, medication he, di- he didn't need any but it felt safe to know that there is an option in case it's getting to be way too much for him he didn't need it we went through the process continue with the process of crying and shaking <clears throat> and realizing what happened and the whole thing got integrated beautifully which is what psychedelic um really help doing it's really going through the experience in a full way to feel the pain to feel the the grief to feel to know the memory uh, and to reintegrate this experience so it was so um supportive for me to know that i'm not there alone with him that there is another wonderful therapist and the team that is holding this um really this memory all of us held this memory together for him with him and i think it was very healthy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um and you also were mentioning that um in the phase two uh, many clients didn't 60 percent didn't they had a reduction of symptoms right a remission of symptoms after two sessions um, and so we have different protocols in different places, but in Israel it was two sessions, yeah. Yeah, and 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 I'm here uh, thinking, you know, you're talking about uh, severe PTSD and highly traumatized individuals that meet criteria, diagnostic criteria for this kind of treatment. And I'm thinking about uh, clients with complex trauma, with developmental wounding, with attachment disorders. Um, where the clinical work is usually relational, it's usually long-term. Um, how do you see MDMA being used for the treatment of complex trauma? 
um, if you were to infer in terms of what you said, um, you know, how would this transfer then? What's the flexibility and adjustments? And how, how do you see this treatment being also effective for not only PTSD, but complex trauma? Well, we have people with complex trauma in the study. Okay. Um, yeah, so we, we definitely uh, have experience with that. And I will say that for my own personal experience, so it's not about the whole study, but my uh, personal experience in, this, in the study with my uh, clients, um, I think it's working very well. But there is a, there is a challenge here. So mm -hmm. it's working very well because the therapeutic relationship are very strong in the study. It's a big, as you said, beautifully, it's, it's part of the field and, and it's the fourth or the, it, it's, a, it's a very important compound. And I think there is a lot of attachment repair and there, is, there are missing experiences that for the client that is happening in the therapeutic relationship. And the MDMA is very much supporting that and the whole protocol, the way it built and it's based on therapy first. And the MDMA is allowing the participant to feel connected to, to uh, embody safety in relationship and openness and vulnerability in relationship, which is exactly what was not safe and was actually very dangerous to do in, a, in the original relationship that created the complex uh, PTSD. Um, so I think it's a very good method. It's a very good treatment for complex PTSD, but, but it's very important when the legality is is uh, will come and hopefully we'll see it in the next uh, maybe two three years that the therapy will continue so now we have to end in few months and that's it the protocol is ending the study is ending the participant is finishing our exit plan is very very meaningful we're creating a continuance to our uh, participants we invite them to continue to therapy we help them find the therapist um Many times during the walk in the, in the research, they find um, different practices that are meaningful for them. They're realizing movement is, a, is an important part for them or um, mindfulness practices. And so we strongly encourage them to go and you know, find five rhythms or any kind of uh, internal um, somatic movement or start meditate and go to uh, more like, Spiritual, uh, so we create an exit plan that supports that, but it's not enough for complex PTSD. The ideal way would be to continue the therapy. Um, so I hope that with the legality, we could we could do that too. Yeah. So that's that's I guess what my question was leading. <laughs> that mm. that for complex trauma, the psychological treatment, the psychotherapy would have to continue. So yes. while the MDMA has uh, immense potential and effectiveness in treating and, 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 and opening up this the perceived sense of trust is enhanced, right? Qualities of self-forgiveness, of self-support, openness. It, it really brings about a whole lot of feelings and experiences that um, is a tremendous asset to the, to the healing of traumatic experiences. However, traumatic experiences sometimes um, take longer than just a few journeys. And it would be, so the idea here is I, as I ask you that question, I'm also affirming that for, for the audience, that is uh, 
to think about healing in, in a long-term treatment and to think about psychotherapy as an adjunct to medicine-assisted uh, sessions. Um, yes. For some cases, it will be necessary. And um, it's what actually allows for that full transformation to be utilized by the client on a day-to-day, which is a lot of times what's called the integration, what happens after the session for some clients. The integration is, it, it takes a long time. It takes a, a continuation of a psychotherapeutic process and continuing to be held um, in that format for the changes to be really in place. Would you agree? I, I'm, oh, I'm, so, I'm so much agree. Uh, and also to say that I think for all clients, not only with complex PTSD, I think the integration piece, Really, ideally, I would recommend continuing it because even if we help treating the PTSD, which is a specific kind of wound in a specific place in the brain where the, the nervous system is participating in a specific way, when the PTSD is um, transformed in some major ways, there is still a lot of psychological work, so which is different than working on the PTSD. So I would strongly, strongly recommend to all the participants to continue with therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this treatment, I imagine, uh, would be very expensive. Um, so what are the ideas of this kind of treatment being affordable, being accessible? Uh, are there ideas of uh, having health insurance or group therapy? What are the thoughts around making this kind of treatment that is so well held, so safe, so effective, be widely available? Mm-hmm. So in terms of the actual method, group therapy is the next thing we, w- we would like to check because it makes it more affordable. So we are planning to start a research in Israel with a two MDMA session, and then the third one would be a group session. And then maybe the, the study after will be one MDMA session that is uh, for per, like a personal MDMA. And then the second and the third maybe will be in a group. So that's still to be... To be studied. Uh, there is another group uh, study that will start in the US too. And we're also looking at different modalities of therapy. So we're looking at prolonged exposure. We have a study starting with um, Professor Edna Foa. Um, and we, we look at PE with MDMA and see if it's maybe we can do it in a shorter time for the PTSD part, not for the psychological that needs to, as we said. Uh, so we're trying to look at different modalities in the studies now. That will be our future studies. But, uh, you know, in Israel, uh, we would like to go to a place where the, where the state is, uh, uh, is paying for this kind of treatment as part of the, the, the social services. So in Israel, many of the medical uh, services are being offered pretty much for free. And that's one uh, protocol that we think. And the Ministry of Health agree with us at this point that it would be good to offer it as part of uh, the free services. And definitely in places where the social system, medical system is different, it needs to be covered by the by the health insurances. Yeah, and, and I think it's also wise for the health insurance companies because people with severe PTSD, they have their they consume a lot of services. Uh, you will see them with more heart problems and blood pressure problems and um, definitely therapy and it impacts their families and their ability to work, their ability of their families to work, and it impacts the whole community. So I think um, for the long run, and that's something we are studying now, we're starting to ask the participants what, um, 
in, in future studies, we're going to ask to look at what were the medical expenses before the study and then in the years after to see what the benefits for the larger system, what, what are they? And my guess is that it would be very, uh, it would be wise financially to offer this treatment uh, and to save all those, you know, circles of uh, expenses. Mm-hmm. And impact, yeah, and the system and the families in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and in terms of the modalities, um, what is the ideas of the different modalities? I know of the co-joint therapy for PTSD in couples with the cognitive behavior co-joint therapy. Are there any other um, diagnostic criterias, any other um, ideas of expansion for the study with MDME-assisted psychotherapy? Well, there was a very beautiful study for uh, social MDMA therapy for social anxiety for um, uh, autistic adults. But just to be clear, we we worked on the, the the study was exploring the reduction or the influence on the social anxiety. It's not treating autism, mm-hmm. but it's treating the social anxiety. And the results were, were good. Uh, so that's something to look at, social anxiety. Um, we're also starting to look at eating disorders and we're starting studies with that. So it didn't start yet, but we plan to do that. And we're also starting in Israel, at least, to look at specific kind of traumas. So we're going to have um, a study with a victim of tortures, in a, uh, actually Palestinians, a victim of tortures, and to see what, because it's a specific kind of trauma, and to see what MDMA psychotherapy is um, doing for that and in the other side of the political uh, spectrum we're going to do a a study with soldiers that were walking inside the occupied territories and were in costumes and they were part of the uh, population there kind of hiding so their trauma is very much about shame and guilt of what's what happened and other than the sometimes life-threatening um situation they were and experienced. So we're trying to look at different populations from, for me personally, it was also important to have different, um, you know, like to go both to the Palestinians and to the Israelis and to try to look at all those awful things that happening all over the world really, but specifically in the Middle East and to see how can we contribute and how we can uh, uh, work with those traumas that are again, influencing so many circles. Absolutely, very important to uh, recognize the the political trauma, the social trauma, um, the historical trauma. And as in your context, you're talking about Israelis and Palestinians, um, and you are beginning to plan for MDMA treatment for the specific uh, instances that you're describing. I know that MAPS has already been involved in some uh, political reconciliations between uh, Israel Mm -hmm. and Palestine with the help of psychedelic medicines, Mm -hmm. Um, not MDMA. Could you tell us a little bit about that research and its outcomes just as we're on this topic? Yes, so MAPS is supporting, uh, we work with uh, Dr. Leo Rosman, who is uh, part of the team of Imperial College in London, and is very much into exploring um, reconciliation in groups and to see what psychedelic in group is, uh, how it's influencing um, conflicts and social conflicts. So one research that he was already um, 
finished and is going to be published soon. He, he, he interviewed, I think, 31 uh, participants in ayahuasca ceremonies, Palestinians and Israelis. And he kind of asked about the, the um, aspects of the relation, relationship between the Palestinians and the, and the Israelis. So one thing he discovered that there is a unity-based um, connection that people explored. So they explored one, like Palestinians explored Israelis and Israelis Palestinians in a way that beyond this uh, political or national or social identity. So they felt themselves as humans that are um, more than just this identity, kind of a unity uh, quality. And at the same time, which I think is really important to, to kind of name and discover, he also saw that there is a, um, a different base connection. So they actually recognized the differences between them and they got connected to the foreign culture. So to hear an Arabic prayer and to feel, oh, like that's part of life for me too as an Israeli, yeah, and the opposite. And he also, um, uh, he also saw that people met in the psychedelic in the ayahuasca they met different experiences that are related to the conflict because of the presence of the other. Mm -hmm. So memories from their personal traumas, personal social traumas. Um, so they met the wounds also because the, the context was uh, bi-cultural, bi-national. So a very interesting uh, study and, and it continues and we support, of course, the, the study as MAPS um, continues to explore it in different ways. Yeah, I, I would love to see some of those efforts to address historical trauma in the United States. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so as we're coming back to, you know, our main uh, topic here, and we're looking into the, the licensed legalization of psychedelics, specifically MDMA, um, as is in phase three of the clinical trials. And you've described some here tonight that the conducting these psychedelic sessions is not a classical clinical experience, right? There, it, it takes more out of the clinician. It takes a team, but it also takes specific skills. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you see the development of training? And since you are also a trainer and have trained already a number of people in Israel, what are the important elements um, that you think it's important for people to be able to do this work? You know, I think the team, and it can be divided into two people, right? It's not just specifically one person, but I think the therapy team should have like, um, I would say three legs for, for the psychedelic therapist or therapy team should have three, um, three legs. The first one, I think we need to have... Um, a clinic, more like a traditional clinical background. So to know about PTSD, to know about, to be uh, psychotherapists that are trained in clinical modalities, um, one piece. The second piece that I think is very important is to have some kind of body, um, body, mind, spirit orientation. So for me, it's more the Hakomi, but there are many wonderful modalities in that knows how to invite a person to experience themselves. So experiential based, that is therapy that is open to mystical experiences or to somatic experience and allow those to be part of the therapy. I think, I think it's important. And the third piece is the psychedelic 
uh, training to learn about the specifics of psychedelic therapy, about uh, uh, counter-transference and that are specifically uh, important in, uh, in psychedelic therapies. They're very strong about the intensity of the experience, about boundaries that are a bit different. Person is lying and touches there um, about ethics, the ethics of psychedelic, which is so important. So to learn specifically about the techniques, about the the beingness of the um, therapist, about learning to trust the unknown that psychedelics ask us to do, because it's not that we tell the client what to do; we invite him or her to be to go inside and and to listen and then to follow what's there. Yeah. So I think those three are very, very important. And there is a debate in the field, but I'm very clear <laughs> about the need for the therapist to, um, to, to have his own or her own, or their own personal experience with psychedelics. Otherwise, for me, at least, it's like teaching yoga without uh, doing yoga, without knowing yoga. Yeah. So I think it's very, very important. I would say it's challenging. It's challenging because we have many people we need to train and to have a psychedelic experience is not a, of course, it's not legal yet. So we have studies that are specifically for the therapist of the trainings so they can experience MDMA psychotherapy. Uh, but I think I think it's a very, very important. And the last piece will be supervision. After they they finishing their psychedelic training, having some kind of body-oriented um, transpersonal orientation and the clinical um, professional background, I think it's very important to have in the first uh, uh, few experiences supervision and to get feedback and to learn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very good. So uh, a number of core skills here, right? To develop that uh, and empathic abiding presence to be able to work with the trust and the enhancement of the trust in the process, in the client, in the medicine, um, to work with that spiritual intelligence that search processes bring about, uh, to have knowledge of the physical and psychological effects that the drugs have, um, the therapist, self-awareness, the, the integrity uh, around ethics, a good solid clinical training, and some competency and complementary techniques that would be um, also important because of for integration for also for the beginning and and all of that and and what you are highlighting here is that you think it's important that the therapist has familiarity with mystical states of consciousness mm -hmm. that the person facilitating the sessions have had an opportunity to contact themselves in in that space so that they know how to make meaning out in that existential space um, they are familiar with the transcendence nature of the self they they have that 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 feeling of experience of love or or impermanence or change a lot of sometimes ego dissolving a lot of experiences that the psychedelics would bring about um, and what you are highlighting is also that there is a challenge in training people because of the nature of the prohibition around the use of substances that not always um, people have uh, access 
to experiences that are safe and legal so that they can actually develop those capacities. And so that's an important aspect of the training, would you say, for the development of the field? I'm wondering when we're going to be able to do this at CIS because we train therapists a lot and we have so many of these other ways and, and we do use meditation and contemplative practices and spirituality and somatic oriented techniques um, in order to develop some of, of these uh, qualities. But what we don't have yet uh, is an opportunity for students to undergo uh, medicine. And I'm wondering if that is what you see as a future development of the field. Definitely, and we work on that with the Ministry of Health. So we want our uh, therapists to experience uh, the MDMA at this point, but I think slowly, slowly with the psilocybin and, and more substance. Um, and at this point, we do it only in clinical trials. So there is a clinical trial for, ther trial for therapies to come and experience, and we look at self-compassion, About we look at different uh, qualities of therapy, and we see... we. we looking to see if there is any influence on that and of course on safety but for the long run i think we need to have um to have it as part of the training and i know that maps uh, department of the training department which is a wonderful one and creates a wonderful training i think is is all the time thinking about ways to embody the work and ways to offer that and hopefully in israel the ministry of health will allow us uh, i hope soon sooner than later to have a clinic for the psychotherapists that are in our training so they can, can know that. You know, one of the, the one, the, the woman that in charge on trauma in the Ministry of Health, um, her name is uh, Bella Ben Gershon, and she was invited to our study in the US actually to experience MDMA psychotherapy so we, because we wanted her to know what, what it is about. And she, she got it because she understood it and um, she had a very meaningful experience and, and she became a big supporter of the walk. Wonderful. That's a wonderful story. I love to hear that. And how about for you, Karen, I, as we're coming to the end of our time here today, but I, I was wondering for you uh, personally, professionally, what, what have been some of the major influences that led you to this work? Um, definitely, you know, CIS. I think it's it's a very meaningful, it's an important place, I think, for many people and for me personally. I really deepen into who I am, both personally and professionally, uh, through the somatic program and the uh, East-West. Um, yeah, the different, the different teachers and mentors I, I found there. I also found Hakomi in CIS. One of my train teachers there was Rob Fisher, who became a colleague and a friend and... Uh, he taught Akomi in the in the somatic program, and then I kind of went into the Akomi Institute of California, which is a very meaningful, another meaningful place for me, where I learned Akomi and was trained as a trainer for Akomi. And, and we, Ido and I, we opened the Akomi Institute of Israel when we came back. So that's another foot I I have here in Israel that is very meaningful for me. Um, I also I was blessed. Part of my family are uh, working with psychedelics in Mexico for many years. So Francoise Boza and Aaron Grosspard, um, they kind of exposed me to the Mazatec tradition. And I learned a lot about psychedelics, about, about life, really. And I'm very grateful for them. Ido, you know, is a kind of a 
helps me embody in our life the different um, learning and and you know passion that we have to somatics to um, transpersonal to psychedelics raising our kids together yeah mm-hmm. and and coming out of that personal vision that personal path into a larger vision do you have a larger vision of what psychedelic assisted psychotherapy could become could be you know i really hope to see psychedelic clinics uh specifically all over israel <laughs> and palestine eventually uh, in the middle east in general and to have them outside of the hospitals right now we are doing it only in a hospital in israel in the all this, all the studies, everything is inside the hospital. In the state, it's not like that. Some of the clinics of the studies outside of the hospital. So I would like to, I would like that to be in nature, in beautiful places, with great trained teams, and that people can come when they need to, you know, to see what exactly, what kind of um, uh, medicine they need. Is it MDMA? Is it psilocybin? Is it ayahuasca? So my vision includes different kinds of medicines so, because I think we are still exploring it, but each medicine is working on specific dimensions or um, and can work well with specific challenges. Uh, we don't know a lot about that yet, and we're still exploring it. Uh, but MDMA, ayahuasca, mushrooms with psilocybin, 5-MeO-DMT, uh, and different things, I think, uh, can be very... Um, can just help us, you know, to suffer less and to live life in a full way with more freedom and happiness. You know, and especially after the COVID, I'm saying after because in Israel, most of us are vaccinated and it feels like we're in a, uh, hopefully in starting the after, after mm-hmm. party. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think many people are deeply traumatized, you know, from mm-hmm. different reasons, financial reasons, and uh, it was real existential existential thank you i'm telling you this english (laughs) (laughs) so i think people are in real need and i think psychedelic can help with that and maybe one thing to say about that that i feel it very strongly strongly in israel in the political you know um atmosphere but i think it's also true for the state that people are very much focused on them, themselves, their need, what's, what's good for them, maybe to their kids and family, and what psychedelic knows to do well when the right set, with the right setting, setting, with the therapy before and after, is to help people recognize that they are part of something bigger, part of the community, part of the culture, part of society, part of the earth, of our earth that is, you know, not in such a good a place to say the least, the ecological situation. So if we'll slowly, with the help of psychedelics, we'll know ourselves as part of something bigger. And um, I hope and believe that the commitment to um, to help to those other dimensions, to, to be active and to be to be social active, active to be um, generous, to be creative, to be to think about and to feel and to sense in all dimensions of who we are, of how to participate in life and in reducing all this damage and suffering that there there is all over. So I think that's really important. And that's really my my motivation. Mm -hmm. 
Wonderful. So a more embodied, a more connected, a more sustainable, a fully participatory uh, way of living and being with one another and, and the planet. And, mm-hmm. and clinics that are connected to nature and that have available medicines for different uh, people in different moments and um, mm-hmm. uh, possibility mm-hmm. for healing on an on a integral way, on a, in a sustainable mm-hmm. way. Yeah, clinics that helps people to remember who they are, mm-hmm. that we, we are both individuals with this body-mind systems, you know, but we're also bigger than that. We are connected to the spirit. We are connected to nature. We are connected to, to our to all other human beings around the planet. I think if those clinics can, can flourish and offer this um, vision, I think we will be in a different space, state as humanity. Yeah, so that's beautiful. Hope for planetary transformation and, and the improvement of humanity, right? And we, we have to, if there is something that we know we have to, is to become better humans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so thank you for that. All right. Well, Karen, it was so wonderful to have you with us tonight. We were at sunset here. You were at sunrise in Israel. I can see it's daylight there. So I'm going to wish you a wonderful rest of your day and uh, so heartwarming to see you again, um, a dear friend. And I'm so proud of you and Ido and your collaboration and your leadership, your innovation in Israel alongside the Hakomi Institute, alongside MAPS and, and serving the, the development in, of the field in such a profound way. So I wanna say congratulations to, to this time in life, to this work. And I hope that our um, audience felt inspired um, and feel a connection to a lot of what you shared to what could be applied here in the United States as well. And yeah, thank you so much. Any final thoughts that you want to have for us to close our night together? Thank you. It was lovely. It's just really nice to feel our sisterhood through the years. And thank you for inviting me. And uh, yeah. So many hugs and kisses to you. Thank you for listening to the CIIS Public Programs Podcast. Our talks and conversations are presented live in San Francisco, California. We recognize that our university's building in San Francisco occupies traditional, unceded Ramaytush Ohlone lands. If you are interested in learning more about native lands, languages, and territories, the website native-land.ca is a helpful resource for you to learn about and acknowledge the indigenous land where you live. Podcast production is supervised by Kirsten Van Cleef at CIS Public Programs. Audio production is supervised by Lau Barrere at Desired Effect. The CIS Public Programs team includes Kyle DiMedio, Alex Elliott, Emlyn Guinea, Jason MacArthur, and Patty Fort. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe wherever you find podcasts, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. CIIS Public Programs commits to use our in-person and online platforms to uplift the stories and teachings of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, those in the LGBTQIA community, and all of those 
whose lives emerge from the intersections of multiple identities.